Since 2010, many of us Montana residents, business owners, sportsmen and women, and conservationists join forces under the banner of Montanans for Healthy Rivers to identify and conserve the last best free-flowing rivers in Montana. Some of the greatest river stewards and boots on the ground helping to protect our rivers day in and day out are guides. From a guiding perspective, I can tell you that sustainability and preservation is my ultimate goal. My name is Kinsley Scott. I'm a Montana native and guide, and I have been with Montanans for Healthy Rivers for years now. Welcome to River Ramble Guides Edition. In this series, we will hear from guides and outfitters from across the state in various regions of the proposed grassroots legislation Montanans for Healthy Rivers Coalition is currently fighting for. The Crown of the Continent proposal would protect 200 river miles in the heart of Montana, and the Montana Headwaters Legacy Act would preserve an additional 336 miles of river within the pristine Greater Yellowstone ecosystem. In today's episode, we are chatting with an OG guide and outfitter of Missoula, John Herzer. John has fished and guided the Dearborn River in its entirety over the last 30 years. The Dearborn is a gem within the Crown of the Continent proposal, and Herzer is here to share why protection of this watershed is so important. Good morning, John. Good morning, Kinsley. How are you? We're good. It's all good. Good. Post-hunting season and now guide logs. <laughs> yeah, the hunting season's winding down, which is painful. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's I been know. good and spent a lot of time out in the woods um, after being on the rivers this fall. And so it's time to do more of the, uh, the, the paperwork of, of outfitting, if you will. Yep. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, we are discussing a river that is just a gem within the Crown of the Continent proposal. Often referred to as the Mini Smith, it is one of the most diverse and dynamic rivers in Montana. And who better to represent this area than John Herzer? So, John, for those that don't know you, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um... So my wife and I, Terry Rogland, we actually own and operate uh, Blackfoot River Outfitters, which is a, an outfitting business that we, I guess we started uh, our outfitting business in 1993 in Missoula, Montana. And prior to that, um, we were uh, in college in Durango, Colorado, and I was a whitewater guide. And, and um, so I had and, and did fishing in, in Colorado as well in the 80s and 90s, and then we moved to Montana in 1990, and we also have a fly shop up in Phillipsburg, we have a fly shop in Missoula, uh, and we've been doing this a long time. This is kind of the only thing I'm any good at, uh, and I'm, other than hunting, perhaps. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this is what we do, this is what we love to do, and we love to share rivers with, with people, and, and we've been doing that forever. So since 1990, I guess we've been uh, guiding in Montana and the Dearborn in particular. Gosh, I think the first year I did it was 1991. Maybe the second year I moved to Montana, and it is a special place. Absolutely, it's it's an amazing river, and fishing there can be exceptional or it can be horrible. It's just great fishing. That's what it is there. Um, a lot of fish come up out of the Missouri and go into the Dearborn and in the Lower Dearborn, and it's it. We spend a lot of time down there in the spring. It's just it's just great. I'm looking forward to talking about it. And so nowadays, though, being based out of Missoula, what rivers do you spend most of your time on? Well, obviously, right around Missoula, the area rivers here, the 
the, the big four, if you will, and uh, the tributaries of the Clark Fork and the Blackfoot, Bitterroot, and Rock Creek. Those are the four main stem rivers that we fish. And then there's lakes and streams also that we'll do that are tributaries and and lakes that feed into those uh, into the Clark Fork drainage. But that's our main our mainstay. But we also have a permit on the Smith River, a five day beautiful mm-hmm. river. As you said, it's it's uh, the Dearborn's considered the miniature Smith. It's spectacular. And uh, we also do trips on the Big Hole and the Beaverhead. Um, not a ton over there. We usually do those in the spring, sometimes in the fall. So we, we I think, uh, actually, with one of my best client friends, I've gone on 21 different rivers in the state of Montana guiding. So uh, that is awesome. pretty lucky to be here. Absolutely. So representing the Upper Dearborn within this Crown of the Continent proposal, for listeners that aren't familiar with this area, can you kind of drop a pin, give us a location of where the Dearborn begins, where it flows into, kind of give us a rundown. Yeah, so the Dearborn's this magnificent stream. Uh, there's the forks that, that start, and that's where this designation's uh, coming from, is up in the Bob Marshall Wilderness Area and the Scapegoat Wilderness Area, and it is it is wild, wild country up there. Uh, grizzly bears and aspen trees and windblown, and it's, it's on the uh, Rocky Mountain Front, which is one of the most spectacular places on the planet, I would argue. And it winds down, and I'm not, uh, you'd know better than I would how long it is actually in miles, but uh, then it breaks it's, out of the wilderness area. How long is it? It's it's 70 miles in total, and this protection, as you said, from the headwaters down, would protect 18.32 miles of river. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. And then it rolls down out of there, and it, and it breaks out of the Rocky Mountain front, which is spectacular in its own right. Uh, you have the, the Rocky Mountains just break out into the plains, and that's what's so cool about this river. It, it has this mountainous character up in the region that we're speaking about, and then it rolls down out into the out into the plains, and it meets the Missouri River um, about, I'm going to say, 12, 15 miles downstream of the Holter Dam, which is a popular uh, place where everybody fly fishes on the Missouri into the confluence there. And that last, boy, the last 20 miles of it, that's where it's like the miniature Smith, which is uh, just sheer cliff walls down into the river, several hundred feet and little rapids. And uh, it's it's a major spawning trip for, for the Missouri, too, down there. Absolutely. And it, it's beautiful. I know the water early season can have this aquamarine blue color contrasted with the, the colors of the cliff walls. It's a beautiful area of the world. Yeah, it, it, it does have, and I'm glad you bring that up because the the river all the way up into the wilderness area, too, has this interesting uh, color to it. Um, it. It is kind of an aqua. It's crystal clear, but it, it's from afar, it has this interesting color to it. And then the rains, you know, it's that's why it's a tricky river to fish is because, you know, a good rain in there, there's been a lot of fires up in the wilderness area, and sometimes those, those hillsides will slough off and, and it'll be instead of turning muddy brown it'll actually turn a milky blue it's a super interesting river that is beautiful so john in terms of fishing what can they expect from a day of fishing on dearborn well we primarily fish when we're guiding we don't obviously we don't guide in the in the wilderness area there's only a Mm -hmm. to be honest i'm not sure i think it's just some hunting outfitters um and some day tripper uh outfitters that have uh, permits that's really limited in the Bob Marshall mm-hmm. 
Um, but where we float is, you know, you can do a, a complete five-day trip if you wanted, um, starting just out of the wilderness area and floating all the way into the uh, into the Missouri. And there's a few spots where you can also uh, chop out little day trips between the two highways bisect the Dearborn in the entire 70 miles, which is another really cool thing about it. And even where the top put-in is above this, what we call Bean Lake put-in at this little bridge just out of the wilderness area, from there down, you know, there's a little over 50 miles of, of floating in that uh, in that reach. On the upper reaches, you're going to see more cutthroat, and, and uh, there's a few bull trout swimming around in there, which um, you can't legally fish for, but uh, incidentally, you'll probably see a few. And then you go all the way down into the... Uh, once you hit Highway 200, there's some day floats in there that are really spectacular. And there, the, the fishing changes. You can catch cutthroat, rainbows, browns. And even when you get in the lower reaches where uh, Flat Creek dumps in, there's, there's a few brook trout as well. And most of the fishing that we do on the lower end is um, a lot of it's for those transitional fish that come up out of the Missouri. So what's amazing about the Dearborn, you're in this little small river, which High water for fishing there is at 12 or 1300 cubic feet per second. I'd say between 250 and 550 is about perfect. Then you're you're fishing this small river and you you have the potential of catching brown trout over 20 inches, rainbows out of those out of the uh, Missouri that'll range you know 16 to 20 plus. Um, and this doesn't happen every day, but one time we were on a on a three day trip there, and my brother had the same client in three days catch two brown trout over two feet. That doesn't really happen very often, but it's possible. Definitely not. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. So so let me ask you, why why is this area special to you? Well, it's special to me for several reasons. Uh, one is just the landscape. I love the open country of, of the Rocky Mountain Front. It's been since the first time I saw it. In 1990, I was enamored with it. It's the juxtaposition of the Rocky Mountains, which are spectacular, and the uh, the Bob Marshall Wilderness, which is the largest, by the way, the largest wilderness area um, in the lower 48. And when you're in the middle of the Bob Marshall, you're further from a road than you are in the middle of the Grand Canyon. It's a pretty wild, wild place. And the juxtaposition of this crazy, wild, mountainous region just dropping precipitously out into the plains and rolling down into the Missouri. It's it's special. You can look up the near the uh near the Dearborn River, right as you're driving on Highway two hundred, right before you drop down into the River Canyon to cross it, you can look north toward Canada and you can almost see Canada in and right along the edge of this Rocky Mountain front. If for those that have been around Denver, Colorado, I grew up, I was a Colorado boy, and it kind of reminds me of that front, uh, the Rocky Mountain front, if you will, in, in Colorado. It's similar how it just breaks out of the mountains. Not as dramatic, but it breaks out of the mountains out into the plains where Denver is. Um, it's just like that, but imagine nobody there. Another thing that makes it so special is that uh, the river, when you're doing, uh, when you're floating it, which we like to do, and you can wait fishing there when water's low is really fun too, but when you're floating it, it's like you're in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't seem, you know, even though you're only eh, a couple hours from Missoula, you could be 
in the middle of Alaska or any other wild place. I mean, you're really, when you drop into the canyon, you just have no sense of space and um, you just get lost in it. And it just curves back and forth and back and forth on itself. And another thing that's really cool about the Dearborn is the pea gravels. That So when we first started fishing the Dearborn, you could fish it before the third Saturday in May. Now, I guess it's probably been 12 or more years. I don't know. I lose track of time. Um, you can't fish the Dearborn on the lower reaches there before the third Saturday in May because of spawning. And when you could do that, we would float it in April, and it was like fishing for rainbows in Alaska. I mean, there would be literally hundreds of rainbows up on all these gravels. It swings and makes a, a 90 degree corner and a big undercut under a cliff, and then it boils out onto a big shallow gravel flat of pea gravel. And there would be a bunch of big rainbows laying on that, moving up the river to spawn, and the big brown trout would be on the ledges up under the cliffs. Sometimes we would just use uh, squala stoneflies. They have early well, as spring stones there, and we would use those with a little egg dropper or something under, and it was spectacular fishing. I think the idea of the way that gravel, even though we can't fish it then, sometimes I'll just float it to look at it because it's pretty special to see all those fishing there. It's, it's an amazing place, an amazing fishery. Well, it absolutely is, and it was so impactful. And it, here's a fun little fact. It was actually named by Meriwether Lewis. He named it after the Secretary of War in 1805. And he described it as handsome, bold, clear stream. And that's actually in his, his journal. It still stands to this day. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, another fun fact about the Dearborn for us in Montana, it was one of two pivotal streams that actually got us our stream access laws that we have today. And for those listeners that aren't familiar, you can cross through private property in Montana as long as you stay within the historical high watermark. And so the Dearborn was one of the birthplaces for those great access laws that we have today, which is a cool fact. I'm glad you yeah. bring that up. Um, actually, that was yeah. uh, there were two pivotal landmark Supreme Montana Supreme Court decisions, and one was Hildreth versus the state of Montana, which was Hildreth was a big ranch uh, a ranch owner down on the Beaverhead River, and there's still today there's an access point at Hildreth Bridge. Because what was happening there is uh, he had this low bridge. You couldn't really float under it. And people, for safety reasons, would have to get out and portage around the bridge. You know, he sued the state and said, hey, you know, these folks can't cross my land. And that was one of the one of the main Supreme Court decisions. And then the second one was Curran versus the state of Montana. And Curran mm -hmm. was one of the biggest landowners down over on the Dearborn. Their ranch was, uh, gosh, I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think it stretches for 16 miles of the river downstream of uh, Highway 200. And it's special. It's actually owned by a big software guy now, um, mm -hmm. but it's still as pristine as it was then. But you're right. It, it was one of the landmark decisions. They said that you can put your boat in and access at a public right-of-way, um, which was different than the Hildreth decision. So without that, you know, you know, solidifying the stream access law, might not, I might not be in the business I am right now. So it is pretty special. Absolutely. So kind of piggybacking off of that, how do you share important conservation issues facing Montana with clients? Well, doing what we're doing right here, right? We're talking about things and, and realize a lot of the folks that I take, it's, I'm expensive. It costs a lot of money to go fishing with us. <laughs> so um, 
sometimes we take people that maybe don't have the same uh, environmental politics as we do or I do, but at the same time we we you know, myself and, and our clients, we have the strings that are attached to having a beautiful crystal clear river with fish in it to fish. That's that's the common thread. And um, I think you can make some inroads into that, you know, talking about that while we're on the river and, and the Dearborn in particular, I've talked about that. And the Smith River is another great example. And, um, you know, one of my best fishing client friends that I've had for over 25 years. Uh, she is reasonably politically conservative, but uh, boy, as in our, in our journey as, as fishing companions over the years, I know that she's donated, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to conservation efforts in spite of maybe um, her difference in political leanings. And, and I would argue that I had something to do with that because these clients come to appreciate rivers in more than just a fishing manner. They really understand that there's a connection there and that we need to, you know, they're not building any more, um, any more rivers, no more riverfront and no more riparian zones. You got to save what you have. And that's what makes Montana special. There's a lot of that still to go around. Absolutely. So threading into the next question, that's perfect. So can you share a quick story in your conservation teachings over the years that had a profound impact on someone? It could be, as you just said, a client that you had uh, that conservation ethics instilled in, or, you know, I know your kiddos, great conservationists, your staunch, you know, public landowners. Can you just share a little little bit about your conservation teaching? Oh, yeah. And I, I think above and beyond, um, we try to make sure that all of our guides, including yourself, which we don't have to work too hard to get you to do it, we want to make sure that, that everybody uh, promotes conservation and, and, you know, making sure that there's environmental policies that safeguard these rivers that we make our living off of and our, uh, not only our livelihoods, but our lives. And with that, I'd say more importantly, personally to me would be my kids. You know, I really do believe that my kids are going to be great conservationists as they get older. My son's 16 and my daughter's 19. And I remember when my daughter was 12 and my son was maybe nine, they were, we had them on a big billboard of, of uh, about the Smith River, and they're trying to build a big mine there, and and we're trying to stop that. You know, we spent a lot of time talking to our kids about that. They they we went down <clears throat> downtown and took some photos of them saying "Not on my watch," and they were like, "What are we doing? This is silly." And you know, it was it was cool to understand that, or to let them know and try to get them to understand what we're trying to accomplish. And I would argue today that if you talk to them about conservation issues, um, they'd be pretty savvy. They get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they understand that there's a connection there between being able to enjoy these places and, and trying to maintain them. It doesn't come easy. You don't take it for granted, more, most importantly. And I would, I would say that's the best thing, you know, teaching my kids and trying to pass that on because it is important. So, John, if this bill is passed, how do you see this area benefiting from this protection? Well, the portion of this is upper 18 miles. I haven't spent a lot of time on it, but I was actually, I've been there a few times and I was actually up there just, uh, just this last spring and with my kids and some great friends. And we went and took a long hike up the Dearborn and uh, it's been a few years since I've been up there. And it's such a dramatic place and so special. And as in any conservation effort, 
um, every bit matters. And even though we don't spend a lot of time, uh, we don't we don't guide up there, and we don't spend a ton of time hiking up there. But when we do, we truly appreciate it. And everything flows downhill. So even if somebody's right. just floating the last 15 miles of the Dearborn, or maybe they're floating from being laid down for five days, I mean, they're going to benefit from any kind of uh, conservation efforts that's done upstream. I mean, that's just a given. What you don't want to do, I mean, I know there's some loopholes that are bouncing around right now about uh, trying to put mines even in wilderness areas, um, unfortunately. And hopefully this this kind of legislation wouldn't limit that and, that and make it impossible for perpetuity because anytime you, uh, as, I, as I said earlier, you're not making any new rivers in Montana and you have to start, best thing to do is start at the top and work down in conservation efforts on rivers and streams. And I think this is a great example of that. Absolutely. Completing the whole ecosystem from top to bottom is, would definitely mm-hmm. ensure protection for not only us now, but for future generations like your your kids and for others listening. Certainly. Lastly, if you had a message for folks right now or could encourage others listening to take action, what would that be? You know, I stay in touch with our state legislators and, and governor and then, of course, uh, our congressmen and national centers, too. In fact, at one point, I think I was probably on a first-name basis with all the folks in the governor's office here <laughs> in the last few years. And I think it really does matter. You make your voice heard. It's important. It's important for people to let their elected officials know where they where they stand on these things. Even if necessarily those those uh, elected officials might not stand in the same spot that you do, they have to know that they're representing everybody in your in that state or in that region, and it's important that they know that there's people that might not think about that, uh, think like them, or if they're in the same camp that they have some backing. So, I would say stay vigilant and stay vocal. That's what we try to do. And notice in Absolutely. in my case, you know, I try to. Let these folks know um, we've had a big change of guard in Montana right now. And I was just just yesterday talking with some friends about how the new governor here is a lot more conservative than uh, than than our past governor that's just leaving his post. And I get that that's what happens. There's uh, you know ebb and flow in politics. But uh, one of my first things is say, okay, you know, I'm going to contact this new office, new leadership, and just say, you know, hey, maybe we didn't vote for y'all, but y'all mentioned that you want to be, uh, you're for Montana businesses, and given that uh, recreation accounts for $7.2 billion annually in Montana, we need some clean rivers in order to to keep that going. It does help business. It's not just a radical environmentalist, if you will. This is a business proposition as well. I think that's wonderful advice. We definitely will be calling on more folks to do just that. So thank you for that. Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak up for the Upper Dearborn, and I hope that you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Kinsley. You too. From all of us here at Montanans for Healthy Rivers, thank you for tuning in. If you would like to learn more about the Crown of the Continent proposal, the Montana Headwaters Legacy Act, and to join our efforts, please visit healthyriversmt.org to add your endorsement.